A-M-E-N, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, U-S-A. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show. Weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General, General Cigar, cigar Dave. Dave. We are right in the middle of Cigar Oktoberfest as we celebrate... The amalgamation of two outstanding, naturally created products of Mother Nature. Cigars and beer. Both rely upon Mother Nature. Both rely upon the raw materials to come from the ground. Both take a lot of TLC and aging until they are ready for consumption. And today, in our second hour, as we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest, we'll be joined by Chris Fornari, the editor of Brewbound.com. Great online resource for craft beer news and information and brand info. We'll talk with him about the state of the craft beer industry, talk about what is going on, changes in taste trends, some recommendations on some craft beer as we enjoy brewskis. And Stogies, front and center. Long Ash greetings and salutations. A Long Ash snappy salute. Semper delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Your global five-star commanding general and Alpha male-in-chief. Front and center from Command Center Alpha in the Cigar City of Tampa. As always, great to have you. Make sure you follow us on social media. Go to CigarDave.com, upper right-hand corner. All the links to follow us are there. Uh, I did receive, Sergeant Steve, I got a lot of of retweets and a lot of comments on the tweet that I sent out with a video commentary of what took place between the Buffalo Bills and the Houston Texans last Sunday. And as a friend of mine, after he watched it, he said, one thing I've got to tell you, General, you don't lack passion. There's no doubt about that. Did you see what happened in that Buffalo Bills meltdown with Nathan Peterman? That was awful. We had the game one. The defense is playing lights out. The Buffalo Bills defense, legit top five defense in the NFL. No ifs, ands, or buts. Uh, They held the Sean Watson. They just shut him down. Game gets tied with, uh, what, about two minutes, 210, something like that. The Bills still have two timeouts, two-minute warning. Nathan Peterman goes back to pass, like on his own 20-yard line, pick six. Okay, there's still time. No problem. Still time. Ah, throws another interception. Absolutely horrible. And I made my feelings very clear. So, in any event, it's always worth following me at Twitter because one thing, and I do – State this, it's never boring. And in my video commentaries, I did state very clearly, not sufficient for work. And if if uh, eloquent profanity offends you, you have been warned. Quite the afternoon of football. And at this point in time, with the lack of brain trust going on at one Bill's drive, I'd rather just see him lose every game. And I'm going to tell you, I think Josh uh, uh, Allen going to be a draft bust 
You know what, Sergeant Steve? I think we may do a podcast just for our Buffalo listeners or Buffalo Bills fans. We may do that. Not this week. Maybe I'll do that. You've next been week. saying but since in, the draft, Josh Allen would be a bust. Uh, if you, I check my Twitter feed, correct. If you look at everything about him, and mm-hmm. by the way, if you saw on uh, what was it uh, Thursday night, if you saw Josh um, Rosen, another disaster. I wasn't high on Josh Rosen either. I don't think he's going to. I'll tell you. I think the two. Picks the uh, Darnell, uh, Sam Darnold, and um, Baker, Baker Mayfield. Mayfield. I think they're going to be the only two legit quarterbacks coming out of this draft. Josh Rosen, the the problem he's got, he has no offensive line. I mean, that is an awful offensive line. So I don't know if we know how good he's going to be yet. I don't. I don't think he's going to be a terrible great. line too. The problem is, yeah, is but from Josh Arizona's Allen's perspective, is the worst. Arizona may be the worst in football. Could be, but Josh Allen, when you look at it, he's their open receivers. I thought initially there was no separation. I watched the uh, All-22 tape. Let me tell you, there was separation. He's holding the ball too long, and he's got the same affliction that Tyrod Taylor has. He can't see down the field and release that ball quickly. Holds on to it, which is not an uncommon issue. Yes, he's early on in his rookie career. However, however... I think one could deduce early on I'm not seeing any improvement. Normally from game one to two to four to five, you see improvement. He's regressing. He's injured. He's going to be sitting for a while. And we've got Derek Anderson, that incredible future Hall of Famer that's going to start this coming Sunday, tomorrow. What an absolute – in fact, I just received word President Donald J. Trump has declared the Buffalo Bills quarterback situation a federal disaster area. It is eligible for federal disaster relief aid. In any event, hey, got to – I need to mention a longtime friend of mine, longtime friend of this show, quite an interesting character – Great guy, cigar connoisseur, fun to be around, great alpha male. I'm speaking about Dennis Huff, the owner of the famous Moonlight Bunny Ranch in Nevada, as well as uh, six other legal brothels, or as he likes to like to refer to them as houses of pleasure partying. And he also was the former star of HBO's Cat House. Uh, Dennis celebrated his 72nd birthday last weekend, had a huge weekend of parties and celebrities, people that uh, came out to the uh, Moonlight Bunny Ranch to celebrate with him. And on Tuesday, he was found dead, unresponsive uh, in the morning uh, after his uh, weekend of birthday, 72nd birthday celebratory maneuvers. And uh, just almost shocking because... Just so much life, great personality. The last time I saw Dennis was three years ago down in Miami at the Eden Rock Hotel. I was attending the Florida Association of Broadcasters Convention, and he was uh, he was there for another event, and I can't remember what it was, but he was with Bunny Cammy, uh, Bunny Ranch Cammy, who was his girlfriend at the time. So Dennis was sixty nine, and I think she was twenty three or twenty four, and uh, having a great time. Had a couple of fine dames. We had a lot of laughs, had some great cigars. And uh, there is a quote from Bunny Cammy that she made to me that was so good that I had to write it down. The problem is there is no way in hell that I could ever state what she said on a terrestrial broadcast of the Cigar Dave show because every one of our vast number of Cigar Dave affiliates would probably lose their license. But I'm going to probably do a special R-rated, uninhibited podcast 
whereby I state exactly what she said. And I'm going to tell you right now, the feminists are going to go absolutely bunkers. They're going to go wild. They're going to have cardiac, they're going to go into cardiac arrest immediately as soon as they hear it. And in fact, wait a minute. Um, I want to just look at that. Oh, here it is. Yeah, this is a classic and there is absolutely no way uh, in any way, shape or form. I can state this on the show, but it happens to deal with a woman's I'm not even going to get into it. I'm just not even going to get into it. It is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16 words that will leave an indelible impression upon you. And she's right. And every woman that I've ultimately talked to said, Bunny Ranch Cammy is correct. So maybe I will post her brilliant quote or I will mention it in a podcast. We shall see. But Dennis Huff was my guest on a regular basis at the Cigar Retailers Convention whenever it was in Vegas. And over the last uh, four years it had been, or three years it had been in La- four years in Las Vegas. And he would always call me and say, General, thinking of making the trip over. I'm like, Dennis, you're coming over as my guest. We would have some great cigars, great cocktail, just a fun guy. And we shared just a lot of laughs. And a lot of people that didn't really know him looked at him and said, oh, he's, 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 a, he's a pimp. And my answer was no. He's really not a pimp. He is a businessman. He ran his his uh, his brothels, hundred percent legitimately. Never had any tax issues. In fact, he told me an interesting stat. He said the legal brothels in the state of Nevada have never once, or at least all of his, have never once had any STD because the girls are tested every week. It is all safe sex. Everything is done legitimately. Never had any IRS issues. The girls all made great money. Nobody forced those women there. They wanted to come back. And he was telling me stories that someone would come, make enough money in one week or a weekend to last for three, four months, and then that would be it. So Dennis Huff, 72, rest in peace, my friend. Great cigar connoisseur, great alpha Fun guy to be around, great personality all the way around, and uh, very magnetic, and we will certainly miss him. So, Dennis, when we conduct the National Cigar Lightation Ceremony, we will do so today in your honor. Men are under attack, and I have two examples. And when we come back, the first one I didn't get to last week, musician John Mayer at a concert in Baltimore went after masculine men. And then there is an article that was in the Washington Post from last week that I must get to from a feminist named Victoria Bissell Brown. And I'll just give you the headline. Thanks for not raping us, all you good men, but it's not enough. Oh, I am going to be loaded, locked and loaded on these two stories when we continue. The October selection for the Cigar Dave Officers Club is an A.J. Fernandez sampler. Featuring the Enclave Broadleaf, this bold blend is accentuated by an earthy, full-flavored select Connecticut Broadleaf wrapper and fillers from Nicaragua. Not a member of the Officers Club? Get premium cigars shipped directly to you every month by signing up today at CigarDave.com. I pride myself on putting together fantastic selections for the Cigar Dave Officers Club. 
I want you to be able to experience great cigars that have unique tastes from different countries, different flavor profiles. And I've got to tell you, the October 2018 selection that we have put together from A.J. Fernandez, absolutely spectacular off the charts. A.J. Fernandez, nobody knew A.J. Fernandez 10 years ago. And now A.J. Fernandez, one of the largest cigar manufacturers, so well-renowned and well-respected, not only for the tobacco that he grows, but for his blending prowess, that many of the larger manufacturers, General Cigar, Altadas, they have all gone to A.J. and said, A.J., we need you to blend cigars for us. And we've seen this over the last number of years, uh, cigars being released. So... When I was able to talk to the powers that be at A.J. Fernandez, to Salim Honono, and talk to Frankie Santos and said, gents, we got to put together a phenomenal October 2018 selection. They said, General, we got just the selections. We start off with an A.J. Fernandez Bellas Artes, inspired by the Bellas Artes National Museum of Art in Cuba. This cigar is an art form in and of itself, wrapped in AJ's exclusive Rojita Nicaraguan wrapper, smooth, delightful notes of cinnamon and cedar. Then we put in the AJ Fernandez Enclave Broadleaf. If you like a full-bodied, full-flavored cigar, you will love the Enclave Broadleaf, combination of a Connecticut Broadleaf wrapper, Nicaraguan fillers, a lot of spiciness, a lot of power, but no harshness. And finally, the A.J. Fernandez San Latano Requiem Maduro, named after A.J.'s birthplace in Cuba. The San Latano Requiem Maduro, a very luxurious, rich cigar with one of my favorite wrappers, an oily Mexican San Andreas Moron wrapper. The cigar is an amalgamation of chocolate, light sweetness, creaminess, great cigars from A.J. Fernandez, the October 2018 Officers Club selection. As a wussified beta male, departing as a certified alpha male. Cigar Dave, mission accomplished. John Mayer, recording artist, was in the middle of a cancer benefit a few weekends ago at the Modell Performing Arts Center in Baltimore, where I used to reside after college. Baltimore, great town. And he went off on a tangent about toxic masculinity. And this was just... After the time, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh had just been sworn in. So clearly, John Mayer had been triggered. Sergeant Steve, let me ask you a question. I Can you name one John Mayer hit or song? Your Body is a Wonderland? Never heard of it. Came out Never in 2001. Heard, I'm, I'm looking right now uh, online. It says the top 10 best John Mayer songs. Gravity, Covered in Rain, Daughters, Why Georgia, Your Body's a Wonderland. I've never heard of this guy. Who is he? I guess he's, a, from what I hear, he's a good guitarist. But he's, a I have, he's a hell of a guitarist. Well, I did listen to a couple of his things. Very chick music. Very chicky. Oh, yeah, yes. very it's, not, chicky. it's not your type of music at all. No, definitely not. Very chicky, very in touch with his feminine side, BS, that kind of thing. Well, during his concert, he stopped and went on a tangent about toxic masculinity. And we have the audio, and I would like to play it for you. Because first of all, if I'm going to a concert, I want to hear a performer play. I don't want to hear them get into a political rant. And it baffles me why they do it. People shell out money to hear them play, not to hear them conduct a political rally. But let's take a listen to John Mayer as he finishes a set and just starts going on this political tangent. 
is the idea that if you're a man, any woman you see, you should be able to get an erection. And when we don't, that's the trauma. That I don't want it to be the male contract. I'm telling you that's the contract and we have to tear the contract up. And we What's that? No, it does it The man no hold on, this is fine. She's actually asking a really decent uh, pertinent question. What you're saying, what is the male contract then? The male contract is to at between the ages of whatever, puberty and college, to be instructed to have a class, to have a voice of reason taught to young men. You are not supposed to be able to do this to everything that moves. You are not entitled to be able to do this to everything that moves. This does not come naturally to a man. This does not come unnaturally to a man. You do not possess the universal ability to have any woman that you see. They're scared and you're scared. And I'm just going on record as revealing the trauma of men feeling like they've fallen short of a bull alpha male contract that nobody can live up to. And until we get rid of that in men, we won't have the life that we all deserve. And I'm sorry for taking up your time to be able to say that. I don't think it's controversial. I think it's the truth. And I don't want to sing Father's Big Into Your Daughters and walk away without adding that amendment in this day. I don't know what male contract he's referring to. There is no male contract. I mean, there's so many just egregiously, factually incorrect elements in his, in his diatribe. I don't even know where to begin this nonsense that, that he says that it's, it's an alpha male contract nailed into boys' heads from a young age that they should get an erection at the sight of every woman. What kind of nonsense is this? Who's ever said that? I don't know any man that said, oh, there's a woman, I'm getting an erection. And he says, we've got to get over this nonsense, this ability to think we can have any woman we see. Who says that? I don't know of any man that walks up to a woman and says, you're a woman, I can have you. That's how it is. He is delusional. Now, I know that a lot of these, these, these rockers and these musicians you know, are on drugs or they have taken drugs in the past. The only thing I can ascribe this to is that perhaps the mind-altering drugs that John Mayer may have taken one time of his life, and I don't know if he did, but the only explanation for his incredibly absurd comments are that Somewhere along the line, the drugs had a mind-altering effect on his, on his reasoning skills. And from puberty to college, we need to take a class to, to, to learn how to be a man. This is just so far-fetched. And, and I'm telling you, just listening to that, the audience was uncomfortable. And at the end, he apologizes for taking such a sensitive subject, he says, during the concert. Well, guess what? If I'm sitting in the concert, my answer would have been, shut up and play. Or I would have challenged him, because some woman said something from the audience. I would have said, I'm happy. If you want to get into a, an, into a debate, a discussion about uh, 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 alpha masculinity, I'm happy to come up there and have a legitimate conversation, but not the pablum nonsense that you are spewing. I know of no boy that has ever been told 
or educated from the time they are a kid until the time they are an adult or past college where someone has said to them, you have the right to have every woman you want. You have the right to have an erection at any woman you see. Look, if a woman is hot, showing. But what nonsense that all of a sudden you're sitting there saying, okay, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have a, a, an erection. I see this woman. Trust me, there are a lot of women out there. Forget it. No chance. This is nothing more than a feminist, a wussified beta feminist singer that has a deep-seated hatred of true alpha males. Because as I've said, as we know, a true alpha male is polite, is refined, treats women with nothing but the utmost respect and class. John Mayer, you, my friend, need a remedial course. You need Cigar Dave's Alpha Male Boot Camp, and I'm happy to oblige. The reality is that we see so many wussified beta males, and I'm sure John Mayer, just listening to his music, you can tell that there is some chromosome that has changed the alpha male chromosome to the beta, wussified beta male chromosome. And there is no doubt in my mind that there is a large contingency of men that have a deep-seated hated beta males for a, a deep-seated hatred of alpha males. They're insecure. I see it all the time. I see wussified betas that try to stick their peacock feathers out and say, oh, oh, you think you're an alpha male? Well, I know I'm an alpha male. And I know also that alpha males do not treat women in the manner in which he states. No man I know, no alpha male thinks that he's entitled to do whatever he wants without consequence. No male, I, I have never nor any alpha male I know, would ever walk up to a woman and say, I see you, therefore I have the right to have you. Fantasyland. Absolute Fantasyland, and clearly there was no alpha male in the audience to say, not so fast, Johnny Cakes. You are wrong about alpha males, and you are wrong about boys and men. They are not taught to do the things that you stated. Hey, don't forget, if you remember the Officers Club, Cigar Dave Officers Club, the October 2018 selection off the charts from A.J. Fernandez, the A.J. Fernandez Bellas Artes, the A.J. Fernandez Enclave Broadleaf, A.J. Fernandez San Latano Requiem Maduro has been shipped out. You, you need to add some alpha to your Facebook news feed. By following The General, you'll get the latest intel in the world of cigars, info on the show each week, and see what The General is smoking. Click like at Facebook.com slash Cigar Dave. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional Line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown
Padrón Habano Tobacco. Available in natural or maduro. Experience Padrón. For your Padrón retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padrón is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy. It's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, I've selected two very unique products for our National Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. First up, my cigar. Davidoff of Geneva this week introduced the brand new Florida Selection 2018. It contains the... uh, Florida sun-grown cigar tobaccos that are grown in Claremont, Central Florida by my good friend Jeff Borshowitz, the owner of the Corona Cigar Stores in Orlando, as well as the Davidoff of Geneva Store Lounge in the Cigar City of Tampa, and also the FSG Farm in the middle of the state. This has been a labor of love, and Davidoff decided to come out with a very special cigar that includes the Florida sun-grown cigar tobaccos. Only one size, a six inch by 52 ring gauge bellicoso. Six inches in length, 52, 64, seven inch in diameter at the foot, a bellicoso, meaning it looks like a torpedo pointed head. Now this particular cigar, even though it is called the Florida Selection, it is not a Florida Puro. No way, shape or form could you do that. But it's got a very unique blend, a wrapper, is an Ecuadorian Habano 2000. The binder is a Jalapa Nicaraguan, and the fillers come from Esteli, Nicaragua, and some Dominican, including some Piloto Viso, San Vicente Seco, and Yamasa Lejero. And of course, the Florida selection refers to the single filler tobacco leaf, the Seco, from the Florida sun-grown farms in Claremont. I sampled one of these cigars earlier this week when Davidoff sent me a bunch to try. Very nice cigar, a lot of flavor. It's not a mild flavored cigar. It's definitely more in the medium, medium full size. Only 2,500 boxes, limited production, 10 cigars in a box, 25,000 cigars. That's it. Comes in a very nice black vertical box, a nice wood with uh, almost a varnished box. Not an inexpensive cigar, $29.90, so $30 per cigar, very limited. The Davidoff Florida Selection 2018, my cigar of choice for the National Cigar Lightation Ceremony. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready to go. That's what I've got to use on the head of this torpedo. Can't use a piercer. Could use a V-cut, but it wouldn't be so great. Got to use the double-edged guillotine. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. This giant torch from the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories. It is called the Mala. Make American or make America lightate again. Very nice lighter, big handle, umpteen jet flames. That's what I would use on this Davidoff Florida Selection 2018. 
Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut. As always, let me toast the foot of this absolutely magnificent looking cigar. Oh, the aroma on this cigar is absolutely fabulous. Nice, deep, dark, almost, uh, I would say, cocoa-y, almost a, a chocolatey type of wrapper coloration, but not a Maduro, but very nice, deep, dark brown, toasting the foot of this cigar. Multi-country tobacco in this cigar, starting with the Ecuadorian Habano, with the Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler, some Dominican filler, Florida filler. I will puff and rotate. Here we go. Hmm. Great draw. Wow, a lot of flavor right off, right off the top. There's no ifs, ands, or buts that this Davidoff Florida Selection 2018 is a powerful, flavorful cigar. Not going to knock you down, but got a lot of strength, a lot of flavor. Hmm. Fantastic. Blow on the foot of the cigar. Perfect. Even amber glow. My Davidoff Florida Selection 2018 is lit. I am ready to wash it down with something tasty. Scotch, bourbon, and beer commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Well, as you know, I love Katz's pastrami, Katz's corned beef, and Colonel Ange took the very secret recipe that we found that uh, my grandma Ida was hiding for years. Nobody knew the recipe. We're cleaning out some things. My mother and sister find it. We give it to Colonel Ange. He ends up recreating Grandma Ida's pastrami to the T. Now, why am I talking about pastrami when I'm going to be sipping beer? Ah, you shall see, grasshoppers. From Schmaltz Brewing Company, in honor of National Pastrami Day, last January, I believe uh, January 14th, it's always on a Sunday, so last sun, uh, January 14th, National Pastrami Day, they created a very unique beer called the Schmaltz Brewing Pastrami Pilsner. And right on the band, right on the label, right on the packaging, it says, brewed with kosher salt, cracked black pepper, pastrami spice, ground caraway seed, natural horseradish flavor, and spices in addition to mustard seed. Now think about this. When you taste that pastrami, whether it's Grandma Ida's or Katz's, do yourself a favor. Don't buy Don't get any pastrami that you get in the supermarket. That's not pastrami. But when you get the real deal and it's steamed and it's just melting in your mouth and it's warm and the juices and the flavor of all the, the, the ingredients come together and then you put it on a rye, piece of rye bread or a couple of pieces of rye bread with caraway seeds. Don't give me any of the seedless rye. With the seeds, it just tastes that taste in your mouth, a little mustard. Life is good. Well, this is a very unique beer. It is a Pilsner beer, 5.5% alcohol by volume. They never attempted making a pastrami-inspired beer before. And when they Schmaltz did it, they did it right. It is Fabulous. Let me let me just pour a little bit here because I've already opened it up. I'm going to pour a little bit in here, and then I'm going to tell you about the rest of a little history about this particular beer. I'll say cheers. Mm. Wow, this is stacked with flavor. You know, I'll tell you what I'm getting. I'm getting some nice light toasted notes. 
You can taste a little bit of that caraway seed, so you get that rye. Get a little of that saltiness, that pepper and mustard, so you get that uh, pastrami. And by the way, I should say that no pastrami's were harmed in the making of Schmaltz Brewing's pastrami pilsner. There's actually, it is vegan. There is no pastrami in here, but they tried to take a lot of the ingredients and make it. And I've got to tell you, it is delicious. Got that nice pastrami, smoky flavor, little blast of horseradish on the uh, nose. Let me take another sip. You know, it's clean beer. It's a very clean beer. has a nice fluffy white head. Nice feel in the mouth. Very drinkable. Little bit of heat, a little bit of spiciness from that horseradish, and you get those nice caraway notes. I'm telling you, this is fantastic. It, w- it was launched, I think, on a limited basis. Came in packs of four. I happened to see it down here, and as soon as I saw the name, Pastrami Pilsner, I didn't care what was in it. I'm taking it, and I made the right decision, and it sounds like they're going to come out with this on a regular basis. Now, initially, it was limited, but it sounds like they're going to keep this on a regular production cycle. So, the Schmaltz Brewing Pastrami Pilsner is my Cigar Oktoberfest beer of choice pairs beautifully with my Davidoff Florida Selection 2018. Real quickly, a big special thank you to one of our great Western New York lieutenants and alphas listening on 930 WBEN, my hometown. Paul McGiveron made a wonderful pen, a very cool pen. I'll take pictures. We'll share this. It is. It combines two shells, two uh, munition shells, a 30 out six and a 308, and he created and made this pen. And uh, his niece gave it to me. She came back to the Cigar City of Tampa. It's great pen, writes great, big feel. It's got just looks like looks like an alpha pen. I've got to tell you, this is a special occasion type of pen. And uh, Paul, many thanks, Paul McGiveron, incredible talents. Um, my understanding is very handy, and making this pen is absolutely off the charts. I will send out pictures because this thing is very unique. Again, taking a 30 out 6 casing and a 308, talk about Alpha. The NRA right now, as I write with this pen, is going crazy. Well, screw them. Many thanks to Paul McGiveron up in the Buffalo Western New York Theater of Operations. When we come back, the enemies of masculinity are after us again. This month's Cigar Dave Officers Club selection is a sampler from A.J. Fernandez featuring San Latano Requiem Maduro. This cigar's rich, chocolatey, slightly sweet, and creamy flavors are delivered through layers of thick, flavorful nuances. Get cigars like these shipped directly to you every month by joining the Cigar Dave Officers Club today. Get details at CigarDave.com. Gurkha has just launched three new cigars at the Cigar Dave Alpha Pleasure Fest on the water in Buffalo. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, the Gurkha Marquesa, and Gurkha Ghost Gold. All three unique flavor profiles. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, more traditional, mild, and creamy cigar, typically found in many of the high-end Dominican cigars. Exquisite flavor, very velvety on the palate, featuring an Ecuadorian De Florado wrapper. The Gurkha Marquesa, very Cubanesque all the way around from flavor and packaging with an earthy Sumatra wrapper. Gurkha Marquesa is a bold, well-balanced, medium-bodied and spicy cigar. The Gurkha Ghost Gold, a little different than the regular Gurkha Ghost, more flavor, a little bit bolder, featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. 
instead of a sweet flavor on the Gurkha Ghost, it's a more nutty and earthy profile. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, the Gurkha Marquesa, and Gurkha Ghost Gold, three new cigars just launched by Gurkha. Cigar connoisseurs love expanding their palate taste profile horizons. The best way to do that is to join the Cigar Dave Officers Club, where every month you will get fabulous cigars shipped directly to you. For October 2018, we are featuring the A.J. Fernandez Sampler. Three magnificent cigars from A.J. Fernandez, rolling great cigars in his huge Nicaraguan factory. First, the A.J. Fernandez Bellas Artes, a beautiful, smooth, delightful, rich cigar featuring a Rojita Nicaraguan wrapper. Then we've got the A.J. Fernandez Enclave Broadleaf. It is loaded with power, no trace of harshness, but lots of spiciness. Finally, the A.J. Fernandez San Lotano Requiem Maduro featuring a Mexican San Andrean Maron wrapper, just an amalgamation of chocolate, light sweetness, and creaminess. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club and get cigars like the A.J. Fernandez Sampler. Go to CigarDave.com, $22.95 per month, and join now. All right, second hour, Chris Fornari of Brewbound.com will join us as we talk Cigar Oktoberfest maneuvers, state of the craft beer industry trends, taking a look at what is going on. But first, you know there is an enemy, there is a, a evil war against masculinity, against, and not even toxic masculinity, masculinity, war against alpha males. I have stated this numerous times. Perfect example, case in point. In the October 12th edition of the Washington Post on the op-ed page, headline, Thanks for not raping us, all you good men. But it's not enough. And this is by Victoria Bissell Brown. I don't know if she's a feminist, if she's a crackpot, whatever, but this is so outlandish, so outrageous, so over the top, that I want to read this entire article with you. And after reading this, You'll see how her husband was brought into this, and I feel sorry for her husband that she has to be that he has to be married to a really angry hag such as Victoria Bissell Brown. Sounds like a vacuum cleaner. Get out the Victoria Bissell Brown. We need to clean up the floor here. All right, here it is. I yelled at my husband last night. Not pick up your socks yell. Not how could you ignore that red light yell. This was real yelling. This was 30 minutes of from-the-gut yelling, triggered by a small, thoughtless, dismissive, annoyed, patronizing comment. Really small. A microwave that triggered a hurricane. I blew, hard and fast, and it terrified me. I'm still terrified by what I felt and what I said. I am almost 70 years old. I'm a grandmother. Yet in that roiling moment, screaming at my husband, as if he represented every clueless male on the planet, and I, every angry woman of 2018, clearly she is angry, as you'll see, I announced that I hate all men and wish all men were dead. Let me read that one more time. While she's screaming at her husband, she announced, I hate all men and I wish all men were dead. If one of my grandchildren yelled something that ridiculous, I'd have to stifle a laugh. My husband of 50 years did not have to stifle a laugh. He took it dead seriously. He did not defend his remark, nor 
did he not defend men. He sat hunched and hurt, and he listened. Right, because this angry, clearly mentally unstable wackadoodle made this uh, guy, this her husband, feel like, uh, like nothing. Basically made him feel like the beta he probably is. I continue. For a moment it occurred to me to be grateful that I'm married to a man who will listen to a woman. The winds calmed ever so slightly in that moment. And then the storm surge welled up in me as I realized the pathetic impotence of nice men's plan to rebuild the wreckage by listening to women. As my rage rushed through the streets of my mind, toppling every memory of every good thing my husband has ever done, and there are scores of memories, I said the meanest thing I've ever said to him, don't you dare sit there and sympathetically promise to change. Don't say you will stop yourself before you blurt out some impatient, annoyed, controlling remark. No, I said, you can't change. You are unable to change. You don't have the skills. And you won't do it. You, I said, are one of the good men. You respect women. You believe in women. You like women. You don't hit women or rate women or in any way abuse women. You have applauded and funded feminism for a half century. Oy vey. You are one of the good men, and you cannot change. You can listen all you want, but that will not create one iota of change. In the centuries of feminist movements that have washed up and away, good men have not once organized their own mass movement to change themselves and their sons or to attack the mean-spirited, teasing, punching thing that passes for male culture. Not once, bastards. Don't listen to me. Listen to each other. Talk to each other. Earn your power for once. The gender war that has broken out in this country is flooding all our houses. It's rising on the torrent of memories that every woman has. Those memories have come loose from the attic and the basement where we've stashed them. They're floating around us. There is no place left to store them out of sight. Not just memories of sexual abuse. Memories of being dismissed, disdained, distrusted. Memories of having to endure put-downs at the office, catcalls in the parking lots, barked orders at dinner parties. And for some reason, the most chilling memory of all the one Christine Blasey Ford called up and that we all recognized? The laughter. The laughter and the tears. Thank you, Paul Anka. The melodramatic tone of this absolutely nutcase, ultra-radical feminist Victoria Bissell Brown's op-ed piece, I believe, requires the great... Master Thespian on stage! And now, we bring you another wussified beta teaching moment from the world's greatest alpha, Master Thespian, Sir Davidus Generalis. Oh, the woe of this poor woman, that at every turn men have been mean-spirited to her. Men have been raping her, have been teasing her, punching her. Oh, the woes of the male culture around Victoria Bissell Brown. Let me start at the beginning of this paragraph. The gender war that has broken out in this country is flooding all our houses. It's rising on the torrent of memories that every woman has. Those memories have come loose from the attic 
and the basement where we have stashed them, oh, ever so securely and neatly. They are floating all around us. There is no place to store them out of sight, not just the memories of sexual abuse, memories of being dismissed, disdained, distrusted, memories of having to endure put-downs at the office, catcalls meow-meow in the parking lot, barked orders woof-woof at a dinner party. And for some reason, the most chilling memory of all, the one Christine Blasey Ford, that mentally stable woman, that mentally stable feminist, who in her youth, I shall say, was mighty meek in her looks, called the memory that we all recognized the laughter. The laughter of men who are bonding with each other by mocking us. When Ford testified under oath that the laughter is the sharpest memory of her high school assault, every woman within the sound of her voice could hear that laughter. Paul Anker, please, one more time, let us hear the laughter. Every woman within the sound of her voice could hear that laughter, had heard that laughter somewhere, somehow. No man right now understands the flood. Oh, the rush of water that is rushing through women's brains. Only women in the deepest denial have evacuated their minds before the flood could reach them. When good men like Senator Christopher A. Coons gave heartfelt, sincere speeches about how we must listen to women. I don't know whether to coo or laugh or cry or yell. How about we just hear Paul Anker one more time? The the Think about Listen to Women as a program for change. It says to women, you will continue to suffer these abuses. Men! Oh, men will continue to do disgusting things to you. The storms will keep coming. The tide will continue to rise. But now we will listen and help you rebuild. Pay attention, people. If we do not raise boys to walk humbly and care deeply, if we do not demand that men do more than just listen, we shall all drown in the flood. Oh, I can see the water rushing by me as I speak. Oh, oh, it's like watching the Weather Channel in their illustrious, illustrious illumination when they show the water rushing in a tidal surge. That's the kind of drowning I am speaking of, this great thespian. And there is no patriarchal Noah to save us. Ladies and gentlemen, as you can see by the amusing master thespian, this woman is an absolute nutcase. First of all, I don't care if it's in jest to tell your husband you hate men, wish all men were dead. I'm sorry. Something is mentally wrong with this woman. And clearly, women, all men don't do respect women. All men don't hit women. All men don't rape women. All men don't abuse women. This is an absolute load, clearly. Clearly, she was set off. Why? Because her little victim... Christine Blasey Ford, whose story didn't pass muster with no credible witnesses, no witnesses whatsoever, disintegrated, and she didn't like it. 
because clearly she has got a vendetta against men. This one is a nutcase. We are going to... We are going to post this op-ed for you to see. It is unbelievable. Talk about an angry, wretched woman. In fact, I think her broomstick is double parked outside of Command Center Alpha. This is AMEM, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time. For the General Cigar Dave. Well, it is hard to believe we are two-thirds through October as we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest, combining great cigars, great beer, and, of course, a healthy dose of football throughout the month of October and the entire fall season. I would love to say that it is fall-like here in the Cigar City of Tampa, but we're going to set another record probably today. I think the high today is going to be 93 or 94, ridiculously warm. I am ready for fall. I've got a special fall beer that I will open up and enjoy with our very special guest as we continue talking about beer. In this hour, we will talk about the state of the beer industry. We'll look at craft beer. We'll look at different trends and taste. What is going on? It is growing by leaps and bounds, and we will enjoy all those beer conversational maneuvers this hour on the Cigar Dave Show. And we welcome you back front and center. It is my pleasure to welcome to the Cigar Dave Show microphones Chris Fornari, the editor of Brewbound.com. Craft beer news, events, jobs, everything in the world of craft beer, a beer aficionado. Chris, it is great to have you front and center as we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I want to learn more about Cigar Oktoberfest. Can you tell me about that? Absolutely. You know, we never, as alpha males, we never need an excuse to enjoy life. And so when we think about, the, you know, the alpha male lifestyle, we think about cigars, we think about spirits, we think about sports, football, golf, travel, grilling, dining, uh, great steaks. And so when Oktoberfest uh, came around, this has got to be about 15, 17 years ago, I said, you know, wait a minute, we got to create our own little holiday here, calling it Cigar Oktoberfest, where basically... We enjoy great cigars, and there's been a lot of Oktoberfest-themed cigars and blended cigars that have been introduced specifically to pair with beers over the last number of years, and we pair it with beer tasting. So we combine two of uh, Alpha Male Lifestyle's great uh, great passions, beer and cigars, and it's a win-win. Now, if we had Cigar Grill Oktoberfest, that would really be the, the triple crown right there. Yeah, that that'd be the hat trick. I like it. I got to I got to check out a cigar Oktoberfest here soon. No question about it. Now, Chris, let's talk about your background, editor of uh, brewbound.com. I've been reading it uh, for a long time. It's a great 
just a great site. But tell us about your background in beer. I know you're up in the Boston area, a lot of craft breweries, and certainly you've got uh, you've got uh, Samuel Adams, and we did uh, a big uh, show from up there last year. But tell us about your background and how you got involved with Brewbound and the world of beer. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I guess I'll sort of give you the, the Cliff's Notes version of it. Um, I'm originally from California and uh, was living out there uh, or had lived out there pretty much my entire life until I moved to Boston um, at the end of 2011 to, to take on the Brewbound gig. Uh, at the time, I was homebrewing with some friends and getting really into craft beer and had a background in journalism and, and writing and wanted to get more into that as opposed to, uh, you know, doing doing the salesman gig. I was selling running shoes uh, for a, a running company that is no longer in business, unfortunately, and, and kind of saw the, uh, the writing on the wall and wanted to um, make a career change. And this uh, this opportunity popped up and one thing led to another, and I was uh, on my way to Boston, uh, shipping up to Boston, as they say, right? Um, so <laughs> I've been out here for almost eight years now and just uh, building Brewbound and, um, you know, trying to, uh, trying to grow this thing into the, into the leading publication in the space. So you're a California guy living yep. in Boston, so you're not yep. a Patriots fan. Would I be correct nope. in assuming that? Oh, you'd be, inco- you'd be incorrect because I went I'd to be correct. You're a Patriots school. fan? Well, I went to high school, the same high school as Tom Brady. So I've actually been following the Patriots uh, for quite some time since since he took over the starting gig. Uh, we're all Bills fans here at the Cigar Day. Well, Sergeant Steve is a, is a Bengals fan, but but uh, uh, myself and some of our other crew were diehard Bills fans. So, uh, but now in California, what what part of California did you grow up? So grew up in. Yeah, Northern California. Grew up in San Mateo, just outside of the city, um, and spent my whole life there. Went to college at Santa Clara University. Um, stuck around Silicon Valley for a few years, and that's kind of right uh, in that area. When I was living in that area, is when I really started to develop a, a passion for craft beer. Chris Fornari, the editor of Brewbound.com, joins us as we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest, talking about the state of the beer industry and just kind of looking at trends and tastes and what's going on. So, Chris, uh, tell us about Brewbound. How did you? Uh, uh, how long has that been around? And because uh, I'll tell you, the website is fantastic. Uh, tons and tons of information, which I enjoy. It's on one of my bookmark pages that I uh, scour every week. So, tell us about Brewbound. Yeah, so uh, Brewbound is part of a larger organization called BevNet. Uh, we're a business-to-business trade company. We host uh, business conferences around the country. We have three different websites, one for non-alcoholic uh, beverage professionals, one for um, uh, food professionals, and one for beer professionals. And we publish daily. Uh, Brewbound, I think, was launched, um, you know, right around 2010, 2011. At the time, it was just sort of a, a pet project internally for a couple of guys here um, who were who were super into beer and they didn't really, um, you know, have much direction or, uh, you know, know what they wanted to do with it at the time. Um, and our, our owner, John, uh, you know, kind of took the project on and said, let's expand in, into the beer space. And um, yeah, it, it sort of transition from more of a, a blog site into a full-fledged uh, daily news publication. Um, so I came on board. I think my uh, my first day was, uh, gosh, uh, January 10th, 2011. Um, and I think that week we had, I don't know, maybe 100 or 150 people visit the site. And now we're going to have over 5 million page views this year. 
Incredible. Well, it is a great site, tons of information. And when we look at the explosion of the beer industry, specifically, it's really been the craft beer movement that has really provided all the growth. And I think the testament to that is the fact that the uh, big boys, if you can't uh, beat them, join them. And you've seen Anheuser-Busch, we've seen all the the big guys come in and start uh, acquiring a number of these craft brewers or or boutique uh, brewers, and uh, mm-hmm. they're they're and and I, so it's kind of an interesting wave of what is going on right now. And there seems to be a little backlash from some of the uh, diehard craft brewing aficionados. Yeah. So over the last uh, few years, I'd say, I mean, you, you can sort of trace back much of the merger and acquisition activity to. Um, I'd say 2000, I think it was 2011 when Goose Island, uh, was purchased by Anheuser-Busch. Um, and that was really sort of their first, their first acquisition. And I don't think they even really knew kind of what they were going to be doing, um, in the craft space when, when they bought Goose Island out of Chicago. Um, and their strategy didn't really develop until a few years after that. Um, so they sort of, uh, plotted a course for a regional strategy, buying breweries in different areas of the country. Um, in fact, in in Tampa, where you are, they uh, came really, really close to uh, purchasing Cigar City. Um, they did. That deal, yeah, and and that deal fell through, um, and Cigar City ended up selling to a, a different um, craft brewery collective uh, called Canarchy, um, which was formed uh, by the founder of of Oscar Blues out of Colorado. Uh, as well as a private equity firm here in the Boston area, Fireman Capital Partners. So, um, you know, you, we've seen a lot of deals. So it's obviously Anheuser-Busch has gotten into the space pretty heavily, spent a lot of money and acquired about 10 different breweries. Uh, Miller Coors has a few breweries that they've purchased over the last couple of years. Uh, Constellation has three breweries, uh, Funky Buddha and Your Neck of the Woods um, that right. they've purchased. Um, Heineken purchased Lagunitas. So, um, everyone sort of has uh, their their craft uh, brewery horse, if you will, in the race. Um, and then we've also seen a lot of transactions on the private equity side. So, um, you know, really, since I got into the space, uh, it's been sort of a flurry of uh, M&A activity. It really picked up, um, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, slowed a little bit last year. And it's been um, relatively quiet this year as well, as everybody's plates are pretty much full. Chris Frenari, uh, editor of Brewbound.com, is our guest. Chris, it's interesting you mentioned the some of the companies, Cigar City Brewing, Joey Redner, we know very well. We've done numerous shows from there. We've kind of watched as he's uh, gone from a very small operation into a large statewide and now certainly a more of a regional type of distribution. Um, Southern Tier Brewing who you mentioned talking about some private equity getting involved. Southern Tier now purchased, I think, uh, another brewery in, I want to say, Charlotte, if I'm not mistaken, or somewhere, or Philadelphia maybe. And uh, so they've now kind of gotten together. Uh, you mentioned Funky Buddha. We've done, we've had them on, and in fact, they were involved in our Cigar Dave Alpha Pleasure Fest on the flight line last year. Their beers are phenomenal, and it's very interesting. So what we're seeing is these really creative uh, entrepreneur brewmaster types and, and, and just entrepreneurs that come up with these just totally different, unique tastes and packaging ideas. The big guys come in, and the concern is always, okay, 
are they going to do to those companies what they normally do, whereas they buy a successful company, they buy it because it's successful, because it's, because it's got a great market niche, and then all of a sudden they say, well, we're smarter, we've got more MBAs, we're going to tweak it, and then they kind of destroy the company. There's always that, uh, that balance. Do you see some of that starting to happen? Um, not so much. I think uh, we've actually seen sort of the opposite. Um, you know, I think it would be kind of foolish to spend as much money as they, they've they spent on these companies and then, you know, want to run them into the ground or, um, you know, jettison them somehow. I, I don't think that they're they're buying these uh, these properties to somehow kill the category, uh, which is, I guess, um, you know, a, a misnomer. Um, they're buying growth. They're buying brands that are uh, that, that consumers are gravitating towards and, and they want to participate in the segment. So we, we haven't seen that quite as much. Um, now, that being said, I think that they maybe misunderstood uh, kind of where the market was going in some cases. So if you look at Constellation, for instance, they spent a billion dollars buying Ballast Point out of San Diego, thinking that they'd be able to have this national uh, craft beer brand and, you know, kind of scale it and that consumers would, um, you know, continue to love the Ballast Point brand at a national level. And really what we've seen since that transaction is uh, the hyper-localization of craft and, um, you know, the, the breweries that or the, the larger companies that purchase breweries in different pockets of the country and focus more on a regional strategy are actually faring a bit better. Yeah, you know, you're interesting mentioning talking about the local type of craft brewers. Uh, I'm very close to the uh, John uh, C- Russo Sr. and Jr. of Hamburg Brewing up in uh, the Buffalo area. And their, you know, market really primarily is Western New York and, and you know, Rochester, Buffalo, going down almost Erie, Pennsylvania. And they've created some great beers and they've got a great, uh, great niche. And, and really what they do in that area is so unique that, they get people coming all the way from across the country to visit their tap room. And that's another phenomenon that we're seeing. A lot of these, these craft brewers create these tap rooms, and there is a large contingent of, uh, of beer connoisseurs that on weekends travel all over the country to check out their tap rooms and go to these uh, breweries and, and, and sample beers from all over the country. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know an interesting stat that, that I'd like to point out is that if you look at some of the from last year, the the 50 fastest growing breweries in 2017 um, were significantly smaller than, you know, some of the the brands that we've already talked about today and, um, you know, many of the brands that anybody would recognize. So um, the, uh, I I believe the uh, average uh, annual production for the 50 fastest growing breweries last year was under a thousand barrels. It was 963 barrels of beer. And the vast majority of the nearly 7,000 breweries that are operating in the U.S. now um, produce, you know, just a small amount of beer. And they, a lot of them are focused on selling it directly through their tap rooms where it's most profitable for them. Um, so, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, you talk about the state of the industry and where things are headed. And, geez, there's so many breweries. And I don't, you know, I don't know all these brands. And where did all these companies come from? It's important to remember that 
you know, 75% of the, the beer that's being sold or 75% of the breweries that are out there are, are really pretty small. Um, and, uh, you know, only making, uh, you know, approximately like a thousand barrels of beer annually. Gotcha. Chris Fernari, the editor of Brewbound.com. Our guest this hour as we talk the state of the craft beer industry as we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest maneuvers. We will continue with Chris right around the corner. Never miss a minute of the show when you download the Cigar Dave mobile app for Apple, Android, and Kindle devices. You can listen to our 24-7 continuous stream of the latest show or download the recent podcasts to listen to anytime on your mobile device. Get the Cigar Dave mobile app in the App Store. Search Cigar Dave. I pride myself on putting together fantastic selections for the Cigar Dave Officers Club. I want you to be able to experience great cigars that have unique tastes from different countries, different flavor profiles. And I've got to tell you, the October 2018 selection that we have put together from A.J. Fernandez, absolutely spectacular off the charts. A.J. Fernandez, nobody knew A.J. Fernandez 10 years ago. And now A.J. Fernandez, one of the largest cigar manufacturers, so well-renowned and well-respected, not only for the tobacco that he grows, but for his blending prowess, that many of the larger manufacturers, General Cigar, Altadas, they have all gone to A.J. and said, A.J., we need you to blend cigars for us. We've seen this over the last number of years, uh, cigars being released. So... When I was able to talk to the powers that be at A.J. Fernandez, to Salim Honono, and talk to Frankie Santos and said, gents, we got to put together a phenomenal October 2018 selection. They said, General, we got just the selections. We start off with an A.J. Fernandez Bellas Artes, inspired by the Bellas Artes National Museum of Art in Cuba. This cigar is an art form in and of itself, wrapped in A.J.'s exclusive Rojita Nicaraguan wrapper, smooth, delightful notes of cinnamon and cedar. Then we put in the A.J. Fernandez Enclave Broadleaf. If you like a full-bodied, full-flavored cigar, you will love the Enclave Broadleaf. Combination of a Connecticut Broadleaf wrapper, Nicaraguan fillers, a lot of spiciness, a lot of power, but no harshness. And finally, the A.J. Fernandez San Latano Requiem Maduro, named after A.J.'s birthplace in Cuba. The San Latano Requiem Maduro, a very luxurious, rich cigar with one of my favorite wrappers, an oily Mexican San Andreas Moron wrapper. The cigar is an amalgamation of chocolate, light sweetness, creaminess, great cigars from A.J. Fernandez, the October 2018 Officers Club Selection. foremost authority on cigars, spirits, diversions, and the good life, the General Cigar Dave. Well, last week I wore the later hosen, and I only break those out for Cigar Oktoberfest one time because they're not the most comfortable clothing items and articles to wear. So we got rid of that, but nonetheless, we're still in the Oktoberfest spirit, even though it's officially ended in Munich. And again, 
If it ends pretty much towards the end of September, my answer is, why don't they just call it Septemberfest? But we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest here. My pleasure. Welcome back. Front and center, Chris Fernari, the editor of BrewBound.com, as we look at the state of the craft brew industry. Chris, what uh, what trends are you seeing right now? Is there, uh, are we going to see more mergers? Are we going to see a shakeout? Are we going to see, I know that there's been some bankruptcies on some of these craft breweries. We're going to start, is it saturated right now? Um, I would say that there are definitely regions of the country that are pretty saturated. Um, if you look at markets that are well established for craft beer, um, the opportunity to launch a new craft brewery in those areas is, is pretty small. Um, just because, uh, if you look at total market share, um, say in, you know, Portland, Oregon or, uh, San Diego or, you know, real hotbeds for, for craft beer, um, you're, you're kind of butting up against, uh, what most people think is, you know, the sort of peak market share for a high end product like craft. Um, I've heard, you know, numerous theories about how big the segment can get, um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, how many people are actually buying craft beer and, um, the Brewers Association at one point wanted to see national craft beer uh, sales be 20 percent of uh, or national craft beer sales uh, be 20 percent of, of total beer sales. Um, and they're not going to get there based on uh, how their definition works, um, because so many breweries have sold like like we talked about. Um, but, yeah, I'd say that there are some markets that, you know, they're, they're kind of hit their peak. Um, that being said, there's still plenty of opportunities out there for breweries to open, you know, taproom focused uh, operations, sell directly to consumer um, and create a nice little niche for themselves. They're probably not going to get rich or, um, you know, sell to sell their companies for millions of dollars. Um, and they might not even be able to, you know, send their uh their kids to private schools uh, uh, <laughs> in that in that model, um, but uh, you know if that's their passion and that's what they want to do and they're okay and comfortable being small, I think those opportunities exist. That being said, uh, we are seeing a number of brewery closures, um, and that number is increasing. I think there were about 165 brewery closures last year, and uh, you know all signs point to about you know as many as 300 uh, closures in in 2018 is is kind of uh, where we think the, the number could climb to, um, at the same time, we'll probably see about a thousand breweries open, um, and about a thousand breweries opened last year. So if you look at that sort of ratio of, uh, closings to openings, um, the, the gap is shrinking. And at some point, uh, those lines are probably going to meet, uh, because we cannot add a thousand breweries to the segment every single year. It's just not sustainable. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, craft growth has slowed. Uh, breweries are finding it more difficult to compete. Um, some people are giving up entirely because this isn't, you know, what they thought it would be. Um, some people took on too much debt to grow, and, and that's why they're going out of business. Um, so I think we're probably in the beginning stages of what people would describe as a shakeout right now. All right, Chris Fornari, the editor of BrewBound.com, our guest as we... Celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest talking about the state of the craft beer industry. When we come back, we'll start looking at some craft breweries of note, maybe some beers you should be on the lookout for as we enjoy fantastic craft beer on a Cigar Oktoberfest show. 
The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection this month is an A.J. Fernandez sampler, including the Bellas Artes Toro. This Spanish box press beauty is decadent in flavor and aroma and will spoil your palate with notes of cream, white pepper, cinnamon, and orange peel. Want these cigars shipped directly to you each month? Log on to CigarDave.com to join the Officers Club. Gurkha has just launched three new cigars at the Cigar Dave Alpha Pleasure Fest on the water in Buffalo. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, the Gurkha Marquesa, and Gurkha Ghost Gold. All three unique flavor profiles. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, more traditional, mild, and creamy cigar, typically found in many of the high-end Dominican cigars. Exquisite flavor, very velvety on the palate, featuring an Ecuadorian de Florida wrapper. The Gurkha Marquesa, very Cubanesque all the way around from flavor and packaging with an earthy Sumatra wrapper. Gurkha Marquesa is a bold, well-balanced, medium-bodied, and spicy cigar. The Gurkha Ghost Gold, a little different than the regular Gurkha Ghost, more flavor, a little bit bolder, featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. Instead of a sweet flavor on the Gurkha Ghost, it's a more nutty and earthy Profile: The Gurkha Chateau Privé, the Gurkha Marquesa, and Gurkha Ghost Gold. Three new cigars just launched by Gurkha. Defending your rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of pleasure. It's the General Cigar Dave. And the pursuit of great beer as we enjoy Cigar Oktoberfest maneuvers. Chris Fornari, the editor of Brewbound.com, joins us. Hey, Chris, before we move in to a couple other uh, topics I want to get to as we look at the state of the craft beer industry... You know, we were talking about the number of, of maybe closures, the number of openings and tap rooms. I just saw where I'm originally from, Buffalo, and we've got a great affiliate up there, 930 WBEN. Just saw up in the Buffalo News. Here's the headline from uh, two days ago. New craft breweries have opened in western New York with lots more planned in coming months. They're looking at uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. About eight to ten new tap rooms and some microbreweries. Uh, and in fact, what's interesting is there's got a Hofbrau house that they've been working on trying to open for the last, I think, I don't know, three, four years and getting investors. And uh, Labatt's Brewing, actually, which is based in Buffalo, they're opening their own Labatt Brew House. So it's kind of interesting to see how in, in pockets of the country, the enthusiasm for beer and, and brew houses and tap rooms is, uh, is still, still growing. Yeah. You know, I think, um, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's looking more and more kind of like a restaurant business. Um, right. you know, if, if you think about, uh, just the way that, uh, these breweries are financed and, you know, the way that lenders operate too, um, you know, they're, they're lending, uh, a significant amount of money 
to actually build out. So they're spending on construction to build out these facilities and to build out these tap rooms and then, you know, make them look beautiful. And, and that's not money that a bank is ever getting back. Um, so it is very similar to the restaurant business, right? There's not a whole lot of assets that they're that they're actually financing other than the equipment. Um, so in, in my opinion, uh, any of these operations that start up, I think that they should be trying to do it as lean as possible, take on as little debt as possible, and open as quickly as possible and start selling beer directly to consumers at the highest margin possible so that they can service that debt and get you know quickly get to profitability. Right. And, and you know, what's interesting is when you look at some of the, I'm looking at some pictures of some of these uh, places. Uh, they have a picture of Community Beer Works up in Buffalo that opened this past uh, summer. And again, nice uh, interior, not overly crazy. Uh, but that seems to be now the place where people, you know, want to congregate and hang out. Not necessarily a, a uh, you know, a club where there's banging music and it's just loud and, and you know, crazy lights. It seems there's been a shift. It's almost like the speakeasies of yesteryear. And, and this is what you see now. It's more of a socialized, social atmosphere. And I think you hit it right on the head that if you can open up, not go crazy, you don't have to be the biggest, you don't have to be the best, you don't have to have a $3 million build out. In fact, a lot of the successful ones are the ones that are very cozy and quaint. They, they just make good beer and and people will go regardless of, you know, whether it's a $300,000 build out or a $3 million build out. Yeah, exactly. I think the the bigger question, though, for me at least, is you know how sustainable that model is. Um, you know, if you have uh, two breweries on on a on a city block and then two more open, you know, you haven't created any new customers. Now there's just four companies competing for the same customers that were walking down that street, right? So. Um, it, on one hand, yes, they're bringing a lot of excitement and enthusiasm to the category. But on the other hand, you know, does the industry risk kind of turning its back on traditional bars and restaurants? And if so, you know, what's the ramification of that, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the road? Well, we've seen a number of restaurants that have actually gone and within the restaurant creating a small you know, almost micro micro brewery just to create some of their own beer and uh, kind of as an attraction. And we've seen that uh, number of restaurants here in the in the cigar city of Tampa. But I'm seeing that more and more where restaurants are looking, saying, you know what, we want to get in on this action. We don't want to go crazy, but there's still kind of a unique market to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think. You know, we, we talked about the openings and closings. More breweries are going to continue to open for sure. I mean, we're seeing, you know, I think what, like two, two and a half breweries opening per day is is the uh, is the clip. Um, and, and that will probably continue in into next year. I don't know when exactly it'll slow down. Many people think that uh, there could be as many as 10,000 breweries and brew pubs throughout the United States here very shortly. Um and most of those, again, are going to be pretty small taproom focused, uh, like the ones that, that are mentioned um, in that article from, from New York. So uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see how it all shakes out in long term, you know, how many of these businesses survive. I think, you know, the big, the big looming question over all this is like, can we get more consumers to drink beer at a time when 
beer sales are, you know, overall relatively flat because, you know, if you think about it just like a bar, you can stick more taps in the wall, but that doesn't mean you're going to sell more beer. You still have to get more consumers in your door, right? So the same kind of rule or theory applies to the to the broader industry. Yeah, you can have 10,000 breweries, but if you're not creating new consumers, then, you know, who's drinking all the beer? Chris Fernari of BrewBound.com joins us today as we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest. Chris, let's take a look at some of the breweries that are really starting to expand, that have been successful in their own markets, uh, that maybe our connoisseurs, our alphas that are listening should be on the lookout for. I know, for example, Brooklyn Brewery started in Brooklyn. They've now grown to, I think, what, 29 or 30 states across the country. But give us some names of breweries that are really starting to grow that we may be able to find their products that we haven't been able to the last number of years. Yeah, for sure. Um, There are a few that come to mind. Uh, You know, if you think about uh, now, the, the, the trend is obviously more local, right? So a lot of these companies that are growing um, tend to have tighter distribution footprints. So access to their beers uh, for a lot of your listeners uh, might be a bit of a challenge. Um, but, you know, some of the names that come to mind in terms of, you know, really successful, uh, quickly emerging companies would be uh, like a Rheingeist Brewery out of Cincinnati, um, uh, Melvin Brewing out of Wyoming. Uh, there's a company in our backyard that's expanded quite rapidly, um, Lord Hobo Brewing. Um, and, and their beers are actually available down there in Florida and out on the West Coast. So they've taken a slightly different approach. Um, you look at a company like Three Weavers, uh, which was acquired. They're out of L.A. Uh, they were acquired by the Canarchy uh, Craft Brewery Collective that Cigar City is a, a part of. Um, and as well as Deep Ellum, they were acquired by Canarchy as well. So um, those are all uh, really fast-growing breweries that make uh, you know, really good beer. And, um, I would say that, you know, they're probably more accessible than some of the smaller ones. Um, if you're looking for some, some newer companies to experience, you know, one of the issues for any consumer products company is always shelf space and beer is no different. I know that many of the supermarkets across the country have really increased their shelf space for, for beer, specifically craft beer. Many of the, uh, beer and wine stores across the country have now put in different uh, taps where you can fill a growler and you know they rotate those. But shelf space is always an issue, and you know I think there's just so many brands out there that it's it's difficult for the supermarkets for the retailers to be able to say okay we want to carry everything but we can't, and so that's always kind of a a a, a juggling and balancing act and. Really, the retailers have to see what moves, but do the craft beer enthusiasts, do they really help? Is there, is, do you see now a, a vocal craft beer uh, connoisseur movement where they're influencing now what goes into the retailers? Yeah, I mean, I think that that probably already happened, right? Um, consumers were demanding more uh, uh, local beers, uh, and they wanted you know better access to them at their local grocery stores and liquor stores and, you know, total wines and, and all that. Um, and so I think that sort of period already happened. Um, and honestly, I think a lot of retailers actually, you know, kind of went off the deep end with how much craft beer they were, they were selling and they allocated too much space to, to craft beer. 
um, and they have to be cognizant of the velocity at which those uh, those products move off the shelf because you know it's it's push and pull, right? So you can push products into retail um, as much as you want, but if it's not being pulled off the shelf, um, then that's just kind of wasted space at, at at the retail level. So I think retailers are starting to kind of rein some of that in. Um, and they're starting to look at their shelves and say, all right, you know, what are the fastest moving products? What are consumers most interested in and what's going to make me the most money and how can I best utilize the space that I have? Um, and in some cases, that's going to mean that uh, a, a beer that was on the shelf before isn't on the shelf now um, because it, it just wasn't getting pulled. So when you take a look today at the trends in terms of taste, what are you seeing? I, I think at one point, you know, there was a trend to go very, very full of hoppy IPAs. It seems that we're starting to see a shift back to maybe more moderate tastes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the pendulum is definitely swinging back towards sessionability. We're seeing uh, a lot of craft brewers, uh, small craft brewers, get into the sort of light lager or sessionable lager space. Um, if you look at the Great American Beer Festival uh, award win winners list this year, um, there were no large uh, brands, no, no mainstream brands that won in either the light lager or the lager category. They all came from small craft brewers. So um, I think from a quality standpoint, uh, the, the smaller companies are able to prove that, you know, their beers can stack up just as well uh, next to, you know, a Budweiser or a Bud Light in terms of, you know, how well it's made. And for years, you've heard those companies say, well, you know, we make the best sort of loggers in the world in terms of just, you know, technically speaking, they, they are really high quality beers. You might not prefer the, the taste uh, the, uh, of those beers, um, but, you know, technically speaking, they are really sound. And now you're seeing a lot of small brewers uh, start to flex their brewing muscles and, and produce those products. So there is a move towards uh, sessionability. The concern there is that, you know, are we moving into a space where uh, the beers are more uh, commodity than anything else? If you're a small craft brewer making, you know, 15, 20, 25,000 barrels a year and, and you're producing a light lager and you're trying to sell, you know, 12 packs and compete uh, on price with, you know, mega corporations that sell, you know, 50, 60, 100 million barrels of beer a year, that's that's a really tough spot to play in um, it, at the retail level. And ultimately, the consumer is going to decide, you know, do I want to buy this light beer from my local craft brewer for, I don't know, 15 bucks, 16 bucks a 12 pack? Or does Miller Lite taste good enough for me at, you know, 10 bucks a 12 pack? Well, you know, it's interesting because we have seen over the last number of years where uh, pr at one time price was everything. People drank the lagers and, and, you know, the Labats and the Buds and the Coors and the Millers, and price was an issue. And then all of a sudden a different group of beer enthusiasts came in where they were more willing to pay premium prices. Price was not the number one indicator of what beer they would buy. It was taste, it was brewery, it was, you know, uh, uh, strength, nuances. So we've seen a total shift of the market. And when you look at the percentages of the big guys, you know, the traditional, the Buds and the Millers, they've really been shrinking on a, a continual basis every year. Absolutely. I think some of that is just brand. 
Um, you know, the consumers don't necessarily identify with those brands any longer. Um, some of it is they want to trade up to a different uh, product, a higher quality, in their minds, a higher quality product or a different flavor profile. Um, but, you know, there, there are some macro factors to look at here as well. Um, if you look at, you know, just where we are as an economy, we're, you know, 10 years removed from the last recession um, and, and, and the whole, you know, banking collapse. And um, typically, you know, that, that's 10 years is a long time to have the, the sort of economic um, uh, uh, momentum that we've had. And after after the market kind of collapsed, um, you know, craft beer actually craft beer sales actually accelerated. But I have some concerns about that, you know, happening again. Um, and in, in a period of a recession, what are consumers going to do? Are they going to go back to lighter, cheaper beers because they're watching their budgets more consciously? Or will they continue to spend, you know, 30, 40 bucks a bottle for some of these really high-end, barrel-aged, sour, wait-in-line types of products? I don't know. Our guest is Chris Fornari, the editor of Brewbound.com. Great really authority when you're looking for information about craft beer. Even jobs are on there. So if you want to be a brewer, I see they've got a uh, regional brewery representative available for War Pigs USA, or if you want to be the head brewer at Tradition Brewing Company, you guys pretty much have it all there, Chris. Um, But when we look at today, when you see beers that are being introduced, what is required in your estimation in order to be successful, in order to be able to be a viable product, a viable brewery, what are the essentials? First, I would say capital's got to be one of them, because if you don't have the capital to compete today, I think you're going to be out of luck. The old days where you could just make a great beer and people will find it are over. But what what are the, uh, in your estimation, what are the key ingredients for a new craft beer entrant to succeed? Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh an incredible brand first and foremost um is is something that is becoming increasingly important um certainly you know making a really high quality uniquely well differentiated product is uh is important as well but at at this point i think that's sort of table stakes you know the the fact that you make a really high quality beer isn't going to set you apart any longer so then you start figuring out well what does um, and I think ultimately it's going to come back to brands and uh, brands that consumers identify with. So, you know, are you a, a brewery that has, you know, an older looking label that you might have uh, picked up in the 90s? Or are you, uh, you know, are, are you paying attention to um, some of the design elements that uh, other companies, be it in the tech industry or the wine industry or the auto industry, whatever it is, um, are you paying attention to those visual cues that consumers are gravitating towards and incorporating them into the look and feel of your brand? Um, I think that's one thing that that is critically important now. Um, obviously, capital. Uh, if you're going to go big um, and you're going to try to scale quickly or try to sell your beer in multiple markets, it's really, really costly. You have to put feet on the street. You have to, um, you know, you, you have to support the brands with marketing and digital ads and um, you know, I think just the, the amount of money that you're going to need to spend to sell your beer has increased. Um, so if, if you plan on taking that approach, um, you better be well capitalized. 
Um, you know, I think uh, thirdly, you, you should have a really strong tap room and you should be, um, you know, in an area where there is some foot traffic or at least be in an area where people can easily access you. Um, I think that because there are so many breweries out there now and because so many more breweries have opened up either satellite tap rooms or places to experience the brand in, you know, within a city, um, the days of sort of being in an industrial park, you know, 30 miles outside of uh, a major hub and, you know, expecting that people will travel there every single day or every single weekend. Um, I think that's, you know, those days are sort of fleeting as well, unless you have something really, really special, you know, and that they can't get anywhere right. else. Um, so I think those would be the things that I would look at. All right, we will uh, wrap it up, our final concluding segment with Chris Fornari of BrewBound.com. When we get back, we'll give some of Chris's recommendations for some uh, beers that he recommends you to sample. Final concluding segment of this edition of The Cigar Dave Show is next. Check out the all-new CigarDave.com. Get info on the cigars and libations the general enjoys during the show. Get recipes from the pooch pit and drink cocktails, too. You can listen to the show on our 24-7 stream or download the latest podcast to listen to anytime. Get it all at CigarDave.com. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org.
Well, I have just poured a glass of Southern Tier Pumpkin Imperial Ale. This really was one of the big breakout beers for Southern Tier. It's a fantastic beer, very smooth, a lot of flavor. Got that little uh, pumpkin going on with it. Very, very pleasant. And we're rejoined by Chris Fornari, editor of Brewbound.com, final segment. All right, Chris, I gave you the beer that I'm enjoying right now. Give us a couple of your favorites and some recommendations for our alphas and connoisseurs to go out and try. For sure. Um, I've been drinking uh, a lot of uh, pretty much just Pilsners, lagers, and and IPAs, so both ends of the spectrum. Uh, One of my favorite beers here in the New England area is the Von Trapp Pilsner out of Vermont. Um, So for any listeners in, in the New England area, definitely seek that one out. Uh, I got to give a shout out to my boys at uh, Castle Island Brewing here in the Boston area. They got a silver medal for their American lager at the 2018 Great American Beer Fest. Um, Amazing beer. I've been drinking a lot of those during Sox games. Um, And then uh, really always enjoy uh, Lawson's uh, Sip of Sunshine. Um, So those are probably like my three uh, that I I drink the most of. And give us Uh, one more. Give us one, one more recommendation real quick. Oh, geez. One more. Um, I'll say uh, I'll give you a Deep Ellum out of Texas. Uh, I was able to drink their lager uh, at the Great American Beer Fest. All right. So we got some Northeast. We got some Texas. And we will link all these at CigarDave.com and social media. Chris Fernari, editor of BrewBound.com. Many thanks for joining us. Cigar Dave, the general. Say, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great. Great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Cheers. Enjoy Cigar Oktoberfest.